Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV. This is episode number 479 for Wednesday, the 23rd of November, 2016. So great to see you. Tonight, we are going to be uh, welcoming New Data's uh, Robert Caps to the show. We're going to discuss a recent data breach at a local casino. The problem is much bigger than just this one central uh, single attack. Um, so you want to stick around. We're going to be learning all about uh, how even innocent shoppers could be at risk from hack attacks at companies that you expect your data to be safe at. So you want to stick around. We're going to learn all about it with our guest tonight. Mm-hmm. Sasha Dermatis over in the newsroom. How are you? Hey, everybody. I'm great. Here's what's coming up in the Category5.tv newsroom. A universal translator has found its way to a megaphone. The latest ranking of the world's fastest supercomputers is out, and Linux owns it once more. A $2,500 Dell gaming laptop for just $33? Yes, please. A couple big retailers in the U.S. have been caught using illicit social engineering tactics in their computer service department. And Pigs Fly and Microsoft has joined the Linux Foundation. Stick around. The full details are coming up later in the show. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Welcome, this is Category 5 Technology TV. I'm your host, Robbie Ferguson. Please help me welcome tonight my co-host, Jeff Weston. Hello. And over in the newsroom, Sasha Dermatis. Hi, everyone. Hope you're having a great week so far. Tonight, we've got a very special guest joining us. Um, And just to kind of introduce him, well, first of all, in the past, on the show, we've talked about, from a consumer perspective, what we need to do in order to protect ourselves from things like hack attacks and somebody stealing our identity. Or Does that actually happen? Yeah. Really? Think about confidential financial information. Well, we can give you advice up to a certain point that will help protect you by being wise about your use of credit cards and things like that and how how to watch for secure certificates on websites and all that kind of stuff. But what happens if you've entrusted that data to a company that you would expect is fully safe to hold that data and then that particular company is exploited? Uh It's out of your hands. What on earth are you supposed to do? Such is the case with a local casino about 45 minutes north of our studio yeah. here in Barrie, Ontario. Please help me welcome Robert Caps. Uh, he joins us from New Data Security in Vancouver. Robert, it's so nice to have you here. Thank you for having us. Tonight, we're going to be kind of looking at the flip side of data security and looking at what it is that these companies can do or should be doing in order to protect the data, the integrity, and the security of the data that they're entrusted with. And, you know, it could be ours. Could you give us a little bit of a backstory on what has happened for those who aren't familiar with Casino-Rama? We don't need to go into too much technical details because I understand not a lot is available just yet. But what we do know is that some data has been stolen. Yeah, so so what we've seen is there was a a fairly large breach of this Canadian casino um, where customer, employee, and vendor data was stolen. Um, and, and this was very sensitive information. It was credit uh, credit uh, applications for for extending uh, casino credit. It was collections of debt information, payroll information for those employees, and even um, vendor information regarding um, you know who who uh, who buys and sells uh, product uh, and supplies it to the casino. So they pretty much got everything that was sensitive uh, that was available. Wow, it's kind of like that's everything that a company holds, really. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. When it comes down to it. So customer information, staff information, vendor information. Yeah. This is yeah. a pretty big exploit. Especially um, for a casino. 
Yeah, that, not even list. not even getting into this. Why is this such a significant thing? I mean, you're you're uh, calling in from Vancouver in in the far opposite end of Canada here. Um, this is, of course, local to us. Why is this making such national? Uh, why is it so noticeable to the entire nation? It's another example of uh, companies who've been entrusted with data not taking the proper precautions to protect that data and not taking the proper precautions potentially to um, to protect their own networks and their own uh, operations. And in this situation, there's far-reaching impact to not just the company itself, but also the consumers that did business with them, uh, their employees, as well as uh, their business partners. And so there's a huge impact, a wide-ranging impact uh, from this data that was disclosed. Uh, what, what's really important to understand as well is that uh, this information could be used for things like identity theft. It yeah. could be used for financial crimes. It could be used for other sorts of nefarious purposes. And that really has a lot of people thinking about what the, uh, what the implications are to those whose data were, was taken. Sure. Why would this information be of value to the hackers that, that actually compromise their systems? Yeah, so, so, so social insurance numbers um, are, are, are in, in important as well. Um, you know, they're useful for uh, access of, of, of credit information, potentially even impersonating individuals. And our feed is still going. Looks like we've lost Skype there for a moment. We'll see if we can get you back, Robert. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Tonight we are uh, speaking with Robert Caps from New Data Security. Skype is just uh, reestablishing a connection there. What has Microsoft done to our beautiful product? Oh, I don't know. And everything was running so well. I know, I know. Come on. Skype bought, or Microsoft bought Skype. It's been all downhill since then, folks. I'm telling you. But we were speaking before the show with Robert about how interesting it is that, you know, technology has progressed, that broadcasting, from a broadcast perspective, we're, we're able to do a lot with a little. Absolutely. So hang yeah. tight. We're going to see if we can get Robert back here. Let's just see. Sorry, folks. We'll pretend that this is all edited out in post. We know that it's not. We'll blame it on Sasha. Sasha did this. She's over there kicking her feet like a joyful little schoolgirl. And, and tripping last over wild. Week, last week I broke the microphones. It's true. Yeah. yeah. And this week I broke Skype. Huh. Huh. Well then. You're just stepping it up, aren't you? Typed Google into Google and broke the internet. <laughs> That's right. You know, we are talking about this data breach of Casino Rama. Maybe she knows more than she lets on. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, uh, I have everybody sitting up. She couldn't now. log into the chat room. I don't <laughs> think she did the data breach. Hi, Robert. We lost you there. Skype was down for a moment, but uh, we've got you back. I apologize. Uh, um, and we had a little chat. I mentioned we had a little chat before the show about yeah, technology isn't perfect, uh, but technology. it is. It's come. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> technology. But uh, it's pretty amazing what we're capable of. Even though you know we're a small studio in Barrie, you're a uh, a guy at home in uh, in Vancouver. All right, back to it. Uh, we were talking about the information and, and its value to the, the people who have compromised that data. Yeah, so, so like I said, I, I'm not quite sure we dropped off, but uh, impersonation of the individual is, is of utmost importance. Uh, access to their bank accounts, access to their, their mortgages, um, access to uh, being able to open credit in their name, taking out new lines of credit or potentially even buying large ticket items like cars and such um, in, a, uh, in that consumer's name and, and taking those goods and, and doing something with them to derive value for the bad guys. Mm. Um, there's also uh, a lot of transactions 
transactional fraud that occurs. I, I'm not clear that credit card information was involved in this breach, but it is involved in a lot of breaches that we see today. Yep. Um, that level of information is useful for committing uh, financial fraud, specifically e-commerce fraud. So uh, the, the, the use of those credentials to go buy things online and then to uh, either use those goods or to resell them uh, to derive some sort of a value. Mm. Anytime I see uh, an attack of this scale, where so much data, we don't even know how much data here, but um, to give an example, I I believe it was um, a multiple gigabyte file that has just been released on uh, BitTorrent server that contains a lot of confidential file information about the employees of Casino Rama. So not to get too much into the what is the content and things like that, obviously it's personal information and this affects a lot of lives, but realistically, it's a lot of data. Mm-hmm. It would have been yes. raw data being transmitted to the hackers. So it must have taken time for them to not just to gain access to these systems, but to get all of that data through the pipe, to find it, to get it, to obtain it, to download it. Mm-hmm. How is it that someone as large as a casino, for example, didn't immediately catch on that, hey, there's something going on, and how long did they really have before, you know, one... The, the hacker did their deed, and two, when it was actually realized that, hey, something has gone awry here. Yeah, so much traffic, so much information has gone digital and is, and is now using the internet for transmittance that, um, you know, back 10, maybe 20 years ago, a large file like that would be absolutely visible as it traversed the network. You'd see a huge, you know, amount of bandwidth that's being used for a long period of time. Mm. These days, everything is digital. If you, you you look at your own cable modem at home or, or whatever type of internet connection you have, and you look at that light flashing away all day day long, even when you're really not doing anything online, uh, there are so many different devices, so many different systems that are trading data. There, this you know, two gigs drops into the noise. It, it really isn't difficult for that that level of information to uh, to be removed from a network without uh, it being uh, identified. Now, that being the case, um, there are technologies and tools that are out there to look at uh, exfiltration of data after a hack. Um, the, the fortunate and unfortunate pieces, the fortunate pieces, those technologies exist. The unfortunate pieces is um, a lot of them have high false positive rates. A lot of these organizations, especially the smaller ones, don't have large IT teams. They don't have large security teams. Um, It's not uncommon to have maybe two or three people responsible for the whole organization's information security. And it's very easy to overwhelm those teams with false alerts and and noise and other sorts of attacks that go on every single day. So why are we we not using um, like data theft protection and endpoint um, protection firewalls that are going to stop these things? You know, when... A credit card is going through the system or a social security number is going through the firewall. Why is it not saying, oh, something's going on here? Yeah. Are they like, is it seriously, is a casino missing data theft prevention or is it just a lack in the technology that we're not quite there yet or what is it? Not necessarily, right? I, we, we haven't seen any media discussing what techniques and, and prevention technologies they put into place. Um, one of the key tenets to data protection isn't necessarily just putting fences around it. It's about protecting it whenever you have it in your possession. And I think this is the paradigm that we're going to see a lot more people focusing in on now because there's a realization across the industry that um, purely putting up firewalls and throwing more software and, and you know more routers and more other configuration and hiring more people isn't the answer. The answer is holistically looking at the data points that are being stolen 
as critical information and protecting them as such. So uh, when, when we, we look at things like social insurance or, or in the state's uh, social security numbers, um, those data points really shouldn't be handled unencrypted. They really shouldn't be stored in a way that they're directly readable by an adversary. Mm. Uh, when we start talking about uh, names and address and other sorts of information, if that information isn't required to be retrieved and human readable, um, why not protect it in ways that make it unreadable to humans without additional techniques or technology? And, and so, um, you know, th that's the basis that, that we're starting to see a lot of focus on within uh, large corporations is encryption, hashing, other technologies that allow you to, uh, to protect that data, both in transit and at, re at rest. And so, it looks at this point like this data was taken while it was at rest. Mm. So, I mean, we know that this information, or at least a portion thereof, has been just thrown up onto BitTorrent. Yeah. You would think if you're going to steal this information from a casino, there would be monetary gains to be had from it. Yeah, how would you monetize that? Yeah, it's now out there freely, and I would highly recommend that nobody touch that torrent with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> yeah, but, it's being watched, folks. It's yeah, being watched. Yeah. But what would the point be of throwing it up there that's publicly accessible? Is it one of those things where they figure curiosity kills the cat and there's some bug in there for mm. to access other systems? Like, no. what, what would be the benefit to... Oh, I'm trying to stay away from conspiracy theories right now. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, like, what would it's they coming to me. Smokescreen. So the data is out there. Mm. Other people are, are accessing it. They're poking around at it. There's copies that are floating around. Um, my guess, and, and you know, I've been doing, uh, I've been doing uh, the cybercrime side of the business now for the better part of 10 or 12 years. Um, my guess is that the data that was exfiltrated has already been um, sliced and diced and, the, and the, the relevant pieces they were after have been pulled out and the rest has been put, put up so that other people will use it uh, maliciously and, and cover the tracks of the original attacker. That's usually why you'll see this data being dumped to the public like that. Or uh, the second reason is for damaging the, the organization. So, so you'll see a lot of reputational damage that's intended by dumping this data out there um, for the public to see, uh, even though you know there might you know it, it might be, and I, I haven't seen the data myself because I didn't go touch the torrent. Um, there might be that, that the data that was dumped actually isn't all that useful, and so um, the, the, it's more of a reputational damage of, of the organization was stolen from than anything else. Gotcha. And so there's a couple of different ways that might be useful uh, to an attacker like that. So does this have the kind of the error of it, so to speak, somewhat similar to the Panama Papers. I realize we're talking apples to oranges, but with a lot of the high roller clientele that could go to a casino, could that be one of the impacts to this is, hey, let's throw some big names out there and see what sticks in the media. I, I, I really thought that was more of a U.S. style of uh, <laughs> political situation. Um, no, I, 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 you know, that could be. Um, the, the, the data that I've seen regarding what's been in the, in the leak has been more about um, the employees than anything else. That was the vast majority of the information that, I, that I've uh, seen reports on. As far as the actual high rollers and the actual gamblers and things like that, that data could even be useful to other casinos. Uh, to draw, you know, the higher rollers or the the higher profitability gamblers to to other places. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, some of the hacking that occurs is also about, um, you know, corporate espionage. It isn't necessarily sure. about cybercrime itself. And this is where I'm trying to stay away from the conspiracy theories because you start to think about co competition and you start to think about um, disgruntled 
people and who knows what else. And there's so many theories. We're speaking with Robert Capps from New Data Security in Vancouver. We're speaking about the data breach that seems to be of a very large scale at a casino just north of our studio here in Barrie, Ontario. We've got to take a really quick break. When we come back, we're going to learn from Robert a little bit more about what companies can do in order to protect the data that they're entrusted with. Stick around. Jeff Weston. Yaman. You're building a brand new beautiful website. What? Aren't you? No. Am I? You're a terrible actor. What? This is where acting comes into play. Oh, I didn't know we were acting. You're supposed to act. Okay, fair enough. I'm building a really cool website. Are you building a really cool website? You need hosting. One of the things about a hosting account is you don't want to have limitations put on your website. It's true. How much hard drive space do you have? How many email accounts? How many domains can point to it? Well, we've got an amazing deal for you. For a very limited time, cat5.tv slash dreamhost. For just $5 and a bit of change per month, you are going to get unlimited website hosting, unlimited email accounts on that hosting uh, service. You are also going to receive a free domain name. Ooh. So your own .com. Nice. To put that amazing website that you've been working on it's on true. there. If you run, if you want to build a WordPress site, fine. Sign up. Cat5.tv slash dreamhost. Just don't put Panama Papers on it. Just don't do it. But hey, uh, it's a great deal, folks. Best deal you're going to find. $5 and change per month. Go to cat5.tv slash dreamhost. Welcome back. This is Category 5 Technology TV. We are speaking with Robert Capps from New Data Security in Vancouver. We're speaking about the data breach at Casino Rama. And we've, it's been exposed uh, in the past couple of days that a torrent, a BitTorrent file, has been released with a lot of confidential information about their employees. And there's more data that is apparently out there. Uh, Robert, thank you for joining us tonight. Robert, what are some of the best practices that companies can use? Thinking of Casino Rama, what could they have done differently? What could they have done to protect the data that they were entrusted with? Yeah, I mean, I, not speaking specifically to Casino Random, but looking at data breaches in general that have occurred over the last 18 to 24 months, um, almost all of them have the same set of, of root causes. Uh, some Through some mechanism, a, a, a hacker, a cyber criminal has, has gained virtual access to their internal networks. And uh, often that's through phishing, uh, where an email is sent to an internal employee and they click on a link and they provide credentials or or something else to have access, or malware is pushed in through an email um, uh, of some sort and uh, opening up a back door that the cyber criminals can then use to access the network. And once they're in, they're able to basically uh, traverse those networks and and, and look for information. Starting with the humans, starting with the employees, education of those of those uh, individuals uh, about cyber risks um, at the endpoint that they're using, the computers they're using, making sure the right products are deployed to look for malicious software deployments, to look yeah. for out of the ordinary access to data, um, auditing. So basic auditing of uh, an employee's access to information from their workstation. Uh, these are basic tenets of security that, that should be in place in, in most organizations that are woefully missing uh, in, in almost every case where we've seen breaches uh, where you know a, a mailroom employee's computer has been used to access say accounting records. Yeah. That sort of thing should be visible and, 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 um, uh, dis- and can be discerned and alerts should go up when those sort of access yeah. occur. I think um, is, it, is it a really hard to find line and, and a really tough line when 
monitoring a staff member's electronic behavior, if you will. So let's say DLP and mm-hmm. being able to yep. monitor data as it flows in and out of their computer, seeing what files they open, seeing what data they access. There's this fine line of confidentiality and trust in the employee, but then where is that, where's the point when the company gets to the point where, okay, well, we can't actually trust anyone. <laughs> we have to monitor this. Like, there's got to be a line where I would feel a little violated if my computer was being monitored. Yeah. So, so there's, there's an adage called trust but verify. You can always trust your employees. But in this case, this isn't the employee itself you know, that, that's committing the crime. It, it's, it's software that's sitting on their computer that's sure. allowing a, a, a malicious actor to access the network through their device. Yeah. Uh, and, and in almost all cases, that's how the bad guys are getting into these networks to exfiltrate data. And so you have to do... Uh, you have to take the steps to monitor for that activity. It isn't necessarily that you don't trust your employee. It's that you don't trust the technology they're using. Mm-hmm. And uh, having the ability to monitor what's going on on those devices and, and con- contain any sort of intrusion is first and foremost uh, the first line of defense against these sorts of attacks. So maybe the trust thing is something that needs to be addressed right out of the gate yeah. with your employees because of the fact that if I as an employee feel untrusted because I know I'm being monitored and there's a miscommunication there, then I may try to find ways to circumvent the very things that are protecting the company. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, also using those technologies to really look for the threat vectors we're talking about, not necessarily yeah. policing whether or not they're on Facebook or spending time on Twitter or, you know, watching YouTube videos while they're at work. I mean, it, there's a fine line between, you know, babysitting your employees and, and making sure you're taking the right uh, steps to secure the infrastructure and the data that you're entrusted with. Right. And, and so the, the, there, is a, there is a degree of difference between those two things. Now, obviously, data breaches are becoming increasingly common. Uh, I even hate to say that they're common, but they are. And that's because there's a lot of value. So yes. how, I mean, you From can From the hacker's and, perspective, if it, I can sell this data. Absolutely. Or take down a company. Take down a firm. But how do you devalue that? And especially if it's out of your hands. Like, what can a company do to devalue their data so that they're not Mm. a threat of being attacked? Yeah, devaluation of data starts with the concept. The the core tenet is um, making that data useless in the hands of an attacker. And that takes really a number of different forms. So for... First and foremost, it's protecting that data at rest, making sure that if it is stolen in whole, that it isn't useful to the attacker. That, that, that the, cre- you know, the, the credit card numbers are, are encrypted, uh, social insurance, social security numbers are encrypted, um, date of birth, uh, other sorts of really sensitive data should never be stored in clear text in yeah. human-readable form. It should always be protected in some way, shape, or form, and those keys should be protected with the utmost security so that they don't also fall into the hands of the attacker when they steal the data. Um, the other methods, there's, there's other data that, that's, that's, uh, that, that is com- comprised in these data, po- data sets. Um, there are data points that, that really can't be protected in that way because they, they're useful to the, to the consumer or processing an order or whatever it happens to be. And, and for those sort of data points, um, going about making sure that they can't be reused um, through monitoring of how that data is used in, in, mm. in other, um, other situations. So if you think about, uh, the, 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 there's two data points that, that pop out as being stolen in almost every data breach, and that's the username and the password. And the reason why these data points are so useful, the reason why they're stolen in mass, is that consumers are traditionally very bad at password security. 
They yeah. use the same username at every website, it's their email address, and they reuse the same password over and over and over. Their bank is, uses, they use the same password at the bank that they use on Facebook, they use on their Gmail account that they use on any number of other sites, including retail sites and potentially even casino sites for online gambling. And when, when that username and password is compromised at one website, um, what ends up happening and what we see over and over with our customers and over and over in general is those usernames and passwords get um, tested at all the major websites, oh, sure, whether they're yeah. e-commerce, financial, gambling, whatever they happen to be. Um, and and there's, a, there's an attempt to log in using those credentials to each one of those websites. And when there's a match found, those data points are then provided back to the, the attacker or even resold on the underground. Uh, so that someone else can then come in and attack those accounts, hmm. and uh, one of the one of the ways that we can make those those data points themselves um, less useful is to take those away as the sole arbitrary of identity online. Uh, to date, uh, to log into a website until just recently, all you had to do was provide those two magic pieces of data, and you yeah. were in. You were that customer. You were, for all intents and purposes, as far as the merchant or the bank or anyone else is concerned, you yeah. were the right con consumer accessing the account. Um, there's now we, we found that you know in the, in the age of, of mass data breach, that that just isn't enough to identify consumers and to, to provide them access to their information. Mm -hmm. And so what we've done over the last, uh, I'd say, 18 months, two years, is we've put more friction in front of those customers. We're making them answer secret questions. You know, what is their their mother's hair color? You know, what, what was their first car? That sort of thing. Um, or, their, or, or we're asking them to, you know, pull out their mobile phone and get a text sure. message with a PIN number they need to type in. And hugely frictionful sort of activities that really reduce the usefulness of the online channels. Now, two-factor um, authentication is one thing. So getting a text message on my phone and having to enter that into the computer, that's great because it means I've got to have that extra level of protection. But those password questions, doesn't that make it easier for someone to guess access to my system if they know my mother's can. name? Yeah, um, so it can. In some cases, these questions that are being asked are the same sort of data that's already being stolen. It, it might even be information that you post willingly to your social network profile. Yeah. You know, your mother's maiden name and, and uh, familial ties or pictures of your first car. Um, all these things are, are you know, a Google search away for most people. And so they, they really don't provide anything more than yet another password uh, on the account that needs to be stolen or, or needs to be um, to derived or guessed. Mm -hmm. and, and so, um, you know, these techniques, while they slow the attackers down, they don't stop them. But they do slow the real consumers down. They, they add friction to whatever it is they're, they're intending to do. And, and frankly, what that ends up doing is, is driving those consumers off of the online channels for retailers and, and, and financial companies and such and to more expensive channels such as in-store or on the phone. Right. And, um, and, and those aren't at all the, you know, the best use case for the consumers because we've built these very rich online channels that consumers really love interacting with. And then we put all these barriers in front of it to keep customers out. That's tough. So what's, what's the secret magic sauce? Like, what can, a, uh, what can my company website do to make yeah. it so that I'm not pushing customers away by making it too difficult, but yet still protect their data? Well, the cool thing is the consumers, as they interact with technology, as they interact with websites, um, they are able to, well, they do, but just by the, the fact that they're interacting, they generate a number of really interesting data points and signals. So if you think about how someone types their username and their password, um, the, the cadence at which they're typing, the, the amount of time it takes them to type, the, the, the dwell time between the keys that they type, even how long they hold the key down and release, 
all these data points can be collected and, and, and analyzed in real time to identify patterns of access that are, that are indicative of the real account holder versus those that don't necessarily match. Mm. And so a, a large percentage of, of these um, instances where we put customers through these high friction events like two-factor authentication, yeah. in a lot of cases we're putting them through that inappropriately. We're adding yeah. friction to, to the good customers and um, we're not necessarily reducing the risk profile. Um, if we're able to discern those people that truly look like the, the people that should be interacting versus those that we just don't understand are the right people, um, there's a, that subset of, of, of unknowns that we can put through that more friction process and truly discern out which ones are good and bad from there. Um, but right now we treat everybody the same. We basically treat everybody as a potential adversary, and yeah. that really becomes uh, impactful to the customer experience. Yeah, it reminds me of the you know the contact form where everyone has to yeah. fill in a captcha. It's like you are guilty until proven not a robot. Yes. So it, you allude to I, I get the sense like you know the answer. Like what is there something that I as a company can use? Is there yeah. is there a resource or is it just a mindset and just understanding and flowing with technology as it progresses? What what is the the secret to to keeping that data safe? Uh, so, so as far as keeping data safe, uh, you know, there's a couple ways to answer that question. You know, obviously I'm coming on it's a big uh, question, I know. organization, yeah. <laughs> and the organization does have a solution to passive identification of users online, and you know, I'm sure we can, you know, get into more details about that. Yeah, but, tell us. But uh, when it comes to data protection itself, it really is about um, protecting the data wherever you have it as a, as, a, as a company that is holding data on consumers and business partners and employees. It's protecting it uh, to the best of your ability and then deploying mechanisms uh, within how that data is used uh, to, to identify and, and prevent malicious use and, and to yeah. prevent people from, from being able to reuse it on your site and, and be able to steal it from your site and use it in other places. And that's, a, that's a kind of a bit of a point that I need to make is that file system encryption while fantastic, is not going to help from an electronic data breach because that data is available in its unencrypted format during that transaction. Yes. So the data itself has to be stored in a way that is never reversible in such a way. Is that, is that kind of... You're the pro, man. I'm, just, yeah. I'm, get, I'm getting my head around this. Because well, I, mean, I use file system points. protection, but as you're speaking, I'm thinking, well... It, it, that protects if someone steals my hardware and they don't have the decryption key. But right. it doesn't protect if someone SSHs in, creates a tunnel, and grabs all my files, like is the case with, say, Casino Rama, because right. the data is in that state readily available and accessible in its file format. Absolutely, yeah. So um, it, it's clear, it's key to understand the different states in which data can be protected, uh, depending where it is in the life cycle of its use. Yeah. So you, 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 I'm sure you've heard of, and you've talked about a little while ago about SSL encryption and making sure the locks were there, and when you log into a website and things like that, yeah. um, that is transport level security. So when I'm sending data from one computer to another, I'm making sure it's being sent across an encrypted tunnel. It stops Regarding man in the middle. And yeah, it, it stops people from observing that traffic as it traverses a network. Um, that doesn't protect the data itself. That data, once that, that tunnel is, is terminated at a computer and that data is, 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 is loaded into memory on the computer, that data is now subject to other sorts of attacks against that device itself. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so uh, th there's also data level encryption where you take the individual data points and you encrypt them 
with different keys or different techniques than you would um, the, the encryption that goes across the wire or the, or the, or the transport level uh, encryption. In those cases, that's what we're talking about here. So the, the data points themselves need to be stored in a way that um, is agnostic to how they're being handled or stored. So I could place these data points, uh, I could print them on a postcard and I can mail them through the mail. I could put them on a hard drive that didn't mm. have hardware level encryption. I could send them across the internet unencrypted. And that data would still be secure from prying eyes and still be secure from theft and reuse as long as the keys are maintained um, uh, securely. And, and there are mechanisms uh, today that are available to large organizations where those keys are kept in hardware level security devices or appliances. Yeah. And that data is passed in for decryption and passed back out in clear text to a specific application and vice versa, sure. clear text in, encrypted out. And, and that technology has become really uh, on the forefront of, of protecting those physical keys because these are appliances that aren't uh, running in the context of the application. They aren't running in, in, in the database. They aren't running on the application server. They're the separate hardened device yeah. uh, that does that. Um, that function and that function only. Um, and, and so in those cases, uh, you still have an exposure, but only to data that's currently being transacted against. Mm -hmm. And so that itself is a much smaller subset of data that, that can be attacked than taking a whole database. Um, right. At some point, data has to be decrypted in order to be processed. And that data will always be during those microseconds, milliseconds, whatever, seconds, minutes, hours, whatever happens to be a processing time, those data points will always be accessible in some way just by their very nature until we figure out how to do you know, encrypted transformation, all kinds of other things that I'm sure we're working on in a lab somewhere yeah. around the world. But uh, there is an exposure to all data when it's being processed. And, 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 but the key piece is to understand that that's a much smaller subset of the overall data that exists and it's a much harder attack at scale to steal all the data from a from a company if you're getting little, little bits, and bits and pieces as it's being processed. I think I get what you're saying. So we're looking at a scenario where, okay, we can't make it entirely impenetrable, but right. wouldn't it be nice if the news changed to, oh, there's been another big exploit today. Uh, yeah. One person's credit card was revealed right. and the rest are safe. Right. And the bank's already mailed them a new card. Yes, <laughs> right. exactly. They've already canceled it and reversed all the transactions. I mean, it would be a, a completely different world. That sounds like something for, you know, big business is going to be able to afford this kind of technology. Is there something for the smaller sector as well, like SMBs? Yeah, I mean, with, with SMBs, um, a large percentage of these companies that are doing large data set processing or large volumes of transactions as a small company yeah. aren't doing them on, within their own four walls. Yeah. Um, they're outsourcing a lot of these services to larger service providers who are providing these services um, basically on demand. Yeah. And um, so th this sort of technology is still available to the smaller organizations who aren't trying to build it all themselves. Now, if a, if a small company is trying to do this all themselves, they are at risk and they're going to have to take on some additional um, some additional safeguards and some additional security that, that another, a number of other companies who are outsourcing these technologies to, to low and it looks like Skype is locked up there again. What I'm thinking, I mean, we've had the discussion, and um, we're going to reconnect with Robert in just a moment. We've had the discussion in the past about the school system and how yes. the school is now tapping into third-party services for payment processing and for all these various services that require transactions. And they're storing children and parent and payment data 
within their systems. Yeah, absolutely. And that is a concern. Well, and it's interesting because just this week, uh, well, I mean, the last couple of weeks, one of my sons keeps coming home and he's like, oh, I'm doing well on this game. Right. I'm like, yeah, yeah. You're playing a game in school. Yeah, it's a math game. It's all good. Right. And so, but it's the same password that I have for this, this, and this. Right. So I'm sitting there going, okay, what is this? I look it up online. I can sign up for an account. Yeah. And then I have access to this information that he's using at his school. And it makes me wonder if my system's hacked and he's logging in from our system, now you can access it from the school as well. Yeah. Because they're using this service. Sorry about the Skype there, folks. It's it's interesting. So that's a whole other can of worms. Hey, if you've got a business, you've got to check out, um, you've got to check them out uh, over at New Data. Uh, We're trying to reconnect with Robert here. I'm kind of watching over here. I apologize for the technology, but uh, what can you do? Microsoft. Did you just apologize for technology? Technology. We've been that through this. That is a this. phrase I didn't think you would ever say. I apologize for technology. <laughs> on behalf of all technology. On, yes, on behalf of all technology, we <laughs> apologize. <laughs> but mostly just anything that Microsoft has their hand on. Yes. Pretty much. Yeah. Robert, we're just Slight back Linux to bias. bashing Microsoft here. Oh, no, I, we do it all the time. So. Yeah. <laughs> I apologize that we've lost connection there a couple of times. But, uh, yeah, we won't, even, we won't even have to say it again. <laughs> we're speaking about a little bit about... Um, how the education sector, Robert, has really been tapping into those third-party services that you're talking about. And uh, my s- children's school, they don't have the resources, the capabilities to create these systems to take the payments for the lunchroom. And they want to get out of taking paper money and, and checks. And so they're trying to utilize third-party services in order to create a pseudo online transaction service. But how do we know that these third parties are safe? And, you know, there's no certification. There's no proof that they are protecting the data and, and things like that. So I think, you know, just we're just kind of brainstorming here as we were lost on connection about the fact that there are so many vulnerabilities out there. Yeah. So many tough scenarios where how, how do, I can't protect my data. I can't protect my children's data because it's in so many hands. So, so, you know, there are industry standard um, requirements for data protection and data handling. So if we look to the payment card industry, um, there are standards that Visa, MasterCard, American Express, and, and other brands have, um, have enacted through the PCI, um, the PCI framework, the payment card industry framework for securing uh, the handling of that data. Uh, that set minimum requirements of organizations. If you're going to process credit cards, you will abide by these rules or you won't have the right to process those cards. Okay. Um, if we look at those as minimum standards, very specific data points, the same sort of technology, the same sort of techniques can be applied to your address, your phone number, your email address, your your date of birth, other data points that are being collected and and processed on your behalf to provide online services. And so these companies that are taking lunch money uh, or or other sort of outsourced services like that, they have to abide by the same rules that an Amazon.com does. Mm. Maybe not to the the same stringency, but they need to be able to handle those credit cards in a certain way. They need to protect them in a certain way. Um, The data that goes along with those transactions, there are certain data points they cannot collect in store. By, uh, for for example, yeah. and and so those same sort of rules, those same sort of governance, um, really do need to be applied to other data points broadly across uh, uh, across industry. 
Mm-hmm. Um, right now, we have a bit of the Wild West in that there's a patchwork of requirements, there's a patchwork of, of uh, best practices that exist across individual nations, even within different um, provinces and states within those nations uh, that, that don't necessarily apply universally, which make the problem a lot harder. And so we, I, I think that we could probably get to a point where uh, a universal set of those those um, data points could be made available, and, and, and voluntarily we can meet those and have some sort of certification process to make consumers feel safe. Just today, that, that hasn't happened. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Robert, where can we find out more information about um, protecting our customers' data? I mean, tonight we're taking really the different perspective where we're not the consumer tonight. We're the business owner, the business IT department. And, you know, what can we do to protect the data of the customers who are entrusting that to us? So what, what resources do you have available? Are there websites that we can go to? Um, so specifically, uh, you know, there are a number of vertical um, uh, organizations uh, that 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 um, speak to information security for for different types of industries. Um, you know, there's there's the there's banking organizations, there's retail organizations, um, the the ISACs, the information sharing and uh, collaboration networks that exist for. Uh, the financial sector, for the, the retail sector, even even the educational sector, where um, uh, you know employees or organizations can come together and have conversations about the threats they're facing and how they're solving them, and even collaborate on how to, mm. to you know to, to resolve some of these issues. Those That's are the great. best places to start. Those industry groups are, are probably the best places uh, to, to to exchange notes with your with with you know with people that you might see as competitors in the marketplace but you're not competing to keep your customers safe. You're actually collaborating on that. And so uh, there's a lot of opportunity uh, to, get, to gain information there. Um, beyond that, uh, you know, it, it, it comes down to education on the issues. It comes down to picking up the media and, and reading about these breaches and understanding how these things occurred. Yeah. And then looking at your own organizations with a, you know, with a wary eye going, huh, would I be subject to that same problem? Could this happen to me? Could this happen to my organization? Yeah. And once you start answering those questions, um, it, 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 you know, you can you you'll very quickly find the, the things you need to solve. And there are industry um, resources available for for folks to uh, to reach out to to provide more information to them or education. Very good. Well, there there are resources as well, um, such as this podcast, Category 5 Technology TV, lots of other great security-minded podcasts that are out there. Absolutely. Um, and, of course, um, make sure you check out New Data Security as well, based in Vancouver. Um, you guys have a website that we can go to and check out more? Yeah, it's New Data Security, N-U-D-A-T-A-S-E-C-U-R-I-T-Y.com. And we're speaking with Robert Caps. Robert, thank you so very much for your time tonight. Appreciate you Absolutely. sharing the knowledge um, that you that you've brought us tonight, and uh, speaking with us about this uh, this exploit that occurred uh, just recently. So thanks for being here. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Take care. And this time we'll disconnect of our own accord. <laughs> Gracefully. <laughs> thanks, man. Good night. All right. Good night. <laughs> That was a great interview. <laughs> there we go. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Folks, thank you so much for your patience tonight. Of course, technology doesn't always work quite no. smashingly well, but uh, I think we uh, we do our best to hold it together for you. And thank you again to our guest tonight. I uh, will say that it's very rare the chat room goes completely silent. And this was one of those nights. The interview was that amazing that the chat room was just riveted the entire time. It's mm-hmm. true. At one point I looked down and... And I'm going, I, I think I've been disconnected. So I'm like, <laughs> am I, can you still read this? And I, I close out and come back. And it's like, no, we're all just listening to this interview. Is That was a great interview. 
And there you have it. <laughs> that or everybody. And scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that or everybody's going, I went to Rama. <laughs> yeah, and if you did, sorry for your luck. But um, bum. All right, folks, we've got to get over to the newsroom. Sasha has been waiting over there so eagerly, patiently. She's got such good news for you. Yeah, what's up over there in the newsroom, All Sasha? All right, here are the stories we're covering this week in the Category 5.TV newsroom. A universal translator has found its way to a megaphone. The latest ranking of the world's fastest supercomputers is out, and Linux owns it once more. A $2,500 Dell gaming laptop for just $33? Yes, please. A couple big retailers in the U.S. have been caught using illicit social engineering tactics in their computer service department. And Pigsfly and Microsoft has joined the Linux Foundation. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. Now here's another great way you can support the shows you love from the Category5.tv network by shopping at GearBest. That's right, Jeff. Uh, Cat5.tv slash GearBest. It's an online store for the geek streak in you. Or the loved ones. Well, of course. I mean, especially your loved ones, right? Uh, Because Cat5.tv slash GearBest, quite frankly, has all of the greatest tech gifts that you could ever hope for at rock-bottom prices. Do they have cell phones? You betcha. Cat5.tv slash GearBest has a wide assortment of unlocked Android cell phones and tablets. What about uh, consumer electronics? Those make a great gift. Absolutely. From high-tech watches to action cameras, headphones, even virtual reality headsets. Cat5.tv slash GearBest has you covered. They literally have it all, Jeff. Literally. Really? It's like a superstore right from the comfort of your own chair at your computer through the interweb. Yeah, I, there's no way they have it all. It's true. It's just a bunch of ele- uh, random electronics. Test me. Um, what about clothes? Yep. Both men and women, fashionable apparel at rock bottom, super duper prices. Kind of like this. Well, look at this coat. What do you think? It's a slimming mock leather jacket. I love it. It's available for less than $30 plus free shipping at cat5.tv slash gearbest. All right. You kind of got me there. Wow. Any other questions for me, Jeff? Uh, Now that the winter has passed, flying season. Do they have any good deals on, say, drone copters? Oh, my goodness. Well, check this out. Dude, they have everything. Check out over 500 various drones. And not only that, they're available marked down by about 30 to up to 63% off the regular price. Love it. What's the website again? Well, you're going to find GearBest on our partners' pages for any of your favorite Category 5 TV shows like New Every Day, Category 5 Technology TV, The Pixel Shadow. Uh, But of course, if you want to shop absolutely right now and you want to go straight to the site, all you have to do is visit cat5.tv slash GearBest. See, that's easy. Cat5.tv slash your best. That's right. Happy shopping. I'm Sasha Dermatis, and here are the top stories for the week of November 23rd, 2016. As Japanese tourism grows, businesses struggle to bridge the language divide between international visitors and locals. Panasonic, however, may have a solution a multilingual loudspeaker. The Mega HanyaQ. An amalgamation of megaphone or megahon and translation, which is Hanyaku, 
automatically translate Japanese automatically translates Japanese into English, Chinese, and Korean. Simply speak into the microphone, and the machine listens and analyzes the sentence structure and transcribes the words. Using the integrated touchscreen, pressing the respective dialect buttons outputs your sentences into one of three available languages. So cool. Very cool. Aimed at corporate consumers, including train stations and airports, the amplifier could prove very useful in crowded locations and tourist destinations where information is dispensed to groups who may all speak different languages. The megaphone is expected for launch in December 20th on sale for less than 20,000 yen or $183 per month on a three-year contract, which includes future updates and maintenance. It does seem steep, in my opinion, for only four languages. It is amazing. Kind of reminds me of the Tower of Babel, however. Um, it does seem amazing in that all of a sudden, in real time, you can get a translation that is broadcast loudly for groups of people. However, it bothers me that there's only a couple of languages. You know what, though? What we're finding is, I mean, this is, this is new. Okay? This is new. And Google, for example, has, through their artificial intelligence learning engine, the machine that learns language, has learned not only to translate other languages without being taught, but has also created its own language. Mm -hmm. that is meant to be a universal language because it has found correlations between all the different languages and said, here's a language for the masses. That right. And so this being a cloud-driven device, I would expect, because you're paying a monthly service fee, so it must be connected. It must be tied into some kind of mega computer that can learn and evolve, if you will. So perhaps so four languages now? Google Translate was at one point a very poor system. Right. Is now it is translating into languages that it was never taught to translate into through artificial intelligence. Right. See, what I, there's two things I have to wonder about this. One, if you yell louder into the mic, <laughs> does it amplify the voice that much more? And second, is it going to run into the same issues that Siri had with certain accents for instance sure uh when siri came out on the iphone it didn't pick up anybody who was irish mm -hmm. like if, if you remember all those irish youtube videos where they're talking to siri she's like i don't understand like it is is this microphone design megaphone designed in such a way that it will if you have an, an accent will it pick it up i want to see it in operation in that busy train station right where it's very noisy in truth i mean four three of the four languages are tonal languages english is the only one that isn't tonal in that situation i believe right right so that's an interesting fact I, your story reminds me my dad visited me once when i was living in quebec and mm -hmm. he did not speak one iota of french quebec right. is basically french speaking he just spoke really loud english and expected at that point everybody oh, yes? would understand if i speak loud enough you will understand me i will yell english that's how it works <laughs> that's how it works sasha i have to bring up because we live in this amazing time and and so it really is do we have translate on here anyone have the translate app 
I, I, I can download it. it. You know, to tell you the truth, it's amazing to me in the fact that like Canada is super inclusive and we really love all cultures. And yeah. if a situation like a translate app becomes so easily accessible to everyone, it really would help everybody feel more at home. Because I could understand what you're saying without you stressing out too much about learning my language. Sure. Like I've got, here's Google Translate on my phone. I'm going to just try this. Hello, how are you today? Hello, how are you today? Bonjour. And it's useless. Comment ça va aujourd'hui? Let's try again. <laughs> Hello, how are you today? It crashed. Well then. But it, it, in a, a split second... <laughs> That's useless. I hope that the megaphone doesn't crash. Oh. Come on, Google. Hello, how are you today? <laughs> Did you do it? Hello, how are you today? Very poorly example, Robbie. <laughs> Google has attempted to implement this whole universal translator thing, but as you can see, I'm talking... It's detecting my speech, and it's not doing a thing. Okay, I've got... Hold so on. It's <clears throat> Here we go. Hello, how are you doing today? Are you speaking cat right now? That's how good it is. Cat. Wow. It learned from cats. No, I okay. used the, the cat All right. app. So, moving along. Speaking In other of news. learning computers, you need, what do you need? You need a supercomputer, Sasha. That's right. To learn. The top 500 list shows 498 of 500 of the speediest computers on the planet are running Linux. Linux has long dominated the supercomputer ratings, but now it's getting closer to knocking out all its competition. Other than systems running Linux, there are two Chinese supercomputers running IBM I. AIX, a Unix variant. This pair, tied at 386 and 387, may not um, be long on the list. That's because supercomputers are growing ever faster. Systems running faster than one petaflop now occupy the first 117 positions, nearly a quarter of the top 500. Last year, there were only 81. At the bottom of the list, the slowest systems run at 349.3 teraflops. In November 2015, the bottom supercomputer ran at 206.3 teraflops. Analysts at ZDNet believe that 434.8 teraflops, the Unix system probably won't be around for another year, and Linux could completely dominate this list by this time, 2017. Microsoft Windows was bumped off the top 500 one year ago. Hmm. My brain can't even wrap around the speed of these computers. Like, I don't even understand what a pentaflop is. Pentaflop. Like, like, I love what it. Is a pentaflop. <laughs> what is it? It sounds a like, like the world's worst dive. <laughs> Your computer's only 400 petaflops? <laughs> Off the list. Like, That's what? Do what would that do to what would you use that for? Would it be for gaming? Is this a game? Oh, <laughs> <No>, data processing! <laughs> my goodness, Sasha! Oh my gosh! Could you imagine uh, gaming? I don't know. Hello. <laughs> Sorry, what? Sasha. I I actually can, and it's going to be very high quality virtual reality. 
It's going to be amazing. See, these things happen. No, this is used for solving the world's mysteries. Yeah, like, like how to translate? Out how long pi is. Doing all kinds of mathematical operations that are insane. So at some point, some computer is going to find the end of pi. Maybe. And cure there is disease. no end to pi. Maybe. Maybe. And maybe, maybe translate we'll, into we'll, more we'll than keep. three other languages? Maybe one of those supercomputers is going to be used to run that robot kitchen that emulates Gordon Ramsay and Sasha's mom. I do not understand why you take such offense to this kitchen that is going to cook your grandmother's lasagna till the end of time. Dell accidentally puts their $2,500 laptops up for just $33, and Mexican officials are forcing them to honor the sales. Mexican officials have ordered Dell computers to honor the sale of laptops that had been mistakenly advertised online for just 679 pesos, which is 27 pounds or $33. <laughs> the computers normally sell for up to 50,000 pesos, which is 1,990 pounds or $2,500. But because of an apparent software malfunction, only the shipping costs, which is 679 pesos, were included in an advert published earlier this month. When the U.S. company realized the mistake, they promptly canceled the sale and offered refunds. But buyers complained. Some created a Facebook group inviting other buyers to refer the case to Mexico's federal consumer protection, protection agency, Profico. Profico agreed to consider the complaints and said on Thursday, Dell will have to deliver the equipment offered to the customers who received an email confirming the sale before the ad was withdrawn. Wow. Yes. The agency also urged the company to improve its customer service mechanisms. Dell later acknowledged it had made a mistake and said it was working with the relevant authorities to rectify it. It is not clear how many computers were sold before the ad was taken down. I really hope like a lot of people bought this computer. What that's, a score! That's amazing. That's like Black Friday times 10. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, but there... So there's two bits of information in that story that make me question it. One is they say it was a software error and then at the end they say that they're working with the relevant authorities. I don't think that Dell is pleased about the decision. Yeah, what are they going to do? Once it's out there, okay, there was a woman in the States, I saw this on the news a couple of weeks ago, who won a ridiculous amount of money at a casino, like a stupid amount of money and the yeah. casino authorities um, came up to her and said oh I'm sorry uh, that was an accident here oh, can I buy kidding. you lunch uh, right no. you can't you can't yes, you can say, buy me lunch oopsie on my sorry. new boat that you're buying <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> oopsie so, sorry um, you're gonna have to pay real price for this computer no it's online for $33 I'm buying the computer for $33 sorry yeah. about your luck. but one thing I need to know if somebody was in say the west coast of Mexico and it was five o'clock and they got their email confirmation and then the email from Dell was sent on their server at three o'clock could they oh how did this turn to that <laughs> sorry I, I just I had to pull in a time zone question
Inception. Yes. You get the glare yes. from Inception. Okay, but um, it's frustratingly difficult here's... for me because I don't understand time zones yeah, at all. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to. I'm trying to keep up with camera switches here. You guys are back and forth fighting all the time, and I'm like, uh, uh, Jeff, Sasha, Jeff, Sasha. Here is the fear that this instills in my heart, Uh-oh. in the deepness of my soul. If a company can't there's two sides to this absolutely a company will maliciously post an ad as a door crasher if you will this is unbelievable and it gets you to click on and come onto the site and buy yes and then it's usually like toilet paper or milk there you go yeah. again i'm pushing <laughs> buttons yeah, it's usually toilet when paper. When do you milk, buy milk all of a sudden, online, It's Sasha. 25. You can oh, buy milk well, through our know. partner links. And <laughs> it's so if they can do rise. that, if they do that, then it's dishonest on their part. Yeah. I don't know that that's what happened here. If it was, in fact, a software error, where does it end in that a company now feels that we cannot make a mistake? And if we make a mistake, we are going to pay through the teeth for this and the fear with that for me is that it could be some low-level employee or lower level employee than the top dog who makes that mistake and now is in a position where you know okay am i going to lose my job over this mistake that just cost the company millions of dollars yes because i accidentally pushed to put this up for 33 dollars and made that mistake and because the courts have said i have to honor that now no it was a mistake if it was a mistake, if they found that it was malicious advertising, that's a different thing. But where is that line? Well, but then if that's the case, they can just take the employee to court who maliciously did it. But if but it was malicious. Right. But it's no different than if you walk into a department store and you purchase product X off the shelf and you see that it's advertised for sure. some stupid discount. And you go up and you check in and you're like, oh, sorry, that's not what yeah. it sells on the shelf. So they honor that. How yeah. is that any different? Well, I like the grocery stores where if you find something for the wrong price, they give it to you for free. Yeah. Just putting that I love that. Well, in me, truth, to be honest with free, you, right? because things are outsourced to such a degree and things are so ch- so inexpensively manufactured off-site and overseas, really, Dell probably isn't getting a loss on this. Their laptops probably cost $33 to <laughs> make. It's just that they that sell actually, them for $1,500. No, the, tr- the truth comes out, they actually just accidentally posted the cost. Cost rather than the price. Exactly. There you have it. They're pretty much breaking even on this. Speaking of but companies doing country, though. Like, malicious, let's, let's talk about companies doing malicious things in order to gain from their right. Right. Office Depot and its sister retailer, Office Max, have stopped using a technically dubious piece of malware scanning software after two news services caught the stores recommending costly fixes for PC infections that didn't exist. According to an investigation conducted by KIRO TV News, four of every six or four of six stores in Seattle and Portland, Oregon, claimed that out-of-the-box PCs showed symptoms of malware that required as much as $180 for repairs and protection. The computers, according to the report, had never been connected to the internet and were diagnosed as free of malware by security firm IO Active. A separate TV news team from WFXT in Boston reported on Friday that the same free scanning service Office Max offers similarly misdiagnosed two of three brand new PCs as potentially infected. 
According to an IO active security researcher who spoke to KIRO, PC Health Check automatically signals a malware problem when store employees check any of the four boxes indicating a customer has experienced pop-up problems, slow speeds, virus warnings, or random shutdowns. Derek Held, the IO active researcher, said that one of when any one of those boxes is checked, malware symptoms is shown in the report. Whoa. He says it doesn't matter if anything else was on the report, it was automatically automatic that that shows up on the report. KIRO also reported that PC Health Check is sold by support.com, a company that along with partner AOL can agreed to pay $8.5 million in 2013 to settle a lawsuit in alleging they misrepresented the result of free malware scans and then charged fees to fix the non-existent infections. These are big companies. So malicious. These are big retailers. Ridiculous Come on. Ridiculous and evil. Why? And they're, they're basically treating it as though, oh, you know, you've exposed this practice that we're oh you're so you're bad for exposing it yeah and they're stopping using the software as if they didn't know that this was the case hey dave have you ever had your computer go slow yeah you've got malware come on bring it over i'm going to yeah. charge you 180 bucks to fix it for you oh what you've never even taken it out of the box oh what? it's uh, brand new uh, sorry about your luck 180 dollars thank you yeah Wow. And Come the thing now. is people will fall for that because they they believe the store has good intention Right? They they would assume that an yeah. industry like that is honest. I don't like You know I what? Would. And a lot of times these stores not not even necessarily looking at this particular store, but a lot of times these stores the, the staff that work behind the counter at the tech desk aren't technicians. Right. They're salespeople. So they have a set is your computer slow? Yes, okay. Perfect. You've got malware. I'm going to run the scan for X number of dollars. So they throw the software in. They run the scan. It comes clean. Just salespeople. All right. Here's great news. (laughs) This is the best news story of all time. Microsoft has thrown its financial weight behind... Linux, the operating system that rivals its own Windows. It is now spending $500,000 or £400,000 to join the Linux Foundation, which promotes the open source OS amongst businesses and developers. That's also known as the lint between their toes. <laughs> yeah. $500,000. It's like nothing. Oh. Yeah, but, you know. I you talking but about that's Linux. good. No. Linux between Linux their toes. <laughs> Other Platinum members include companies such as Google, Facebook, and Samsung. Microsoft and Linux have not always seen eye-to-eye. In 2001, then-Microsoft Chief Executive Steve Ballmer said in a widely reported newspaper interview, Linux is a cancer that attaches itself to an intellectual property sense to everything it touches. However, the company's priorities have changed over the last 15 years and under its new leader, Satya Nadella. Much of its current focus is on the cloud, in particular, the Azure Online Storage and Data Processing Services it sells to other organizations. As the tech blog ZDNet noted, it's only on the desktop that Microsoft is still omnipresent. Everywhere else, clouds, supercomputers, and servers, it's a Linux world. Microsoft said that it wanted to help developers achieve 
more and capitalize on the industry's shift towards cloud-first and mobile-first experiences. Jim Zemlin, executive director of the Linux Foundation, said Microsoft has grown and matured in its use and of and contributions to open source technology. He goes on to say membership is an important step for Microsoft, but also the open source community at large, which stands to benefit from the company's expanding range of contributions. So Microsoft is saying, you're welcome, Linux. You're welcome. We're joining you. It <laughs> seems like the timeline, we've had a timeline of Microsoft tonight. So we've got, it starts with, Linux is a cancer that everyone who tries it loves and wants. That's essentially how I heard that quote. Yep. And then um, Linux bumped Microsoft completely off the top 500 servers list mm -hmm. for the top 500 supercomputers in the world so that Microsoft for the past year has not even been on that list. And we, uh, Linux has 498 of the slots. Just a And small then mention. next along the line in the timeline of Microsoft, Microsoft joins the Linux Foundation with its tail between its legs. Yes. Yeah. Hoping so, to get in on that. I'm, I'm not surprised that this is happening. I mean, if, sure. if you look at desktops... It's a good move from Microsoft's standpoint. Sure, absolutely. But to me, in my perspective, it's a good move on Microsoft's part. Yes. The news tends to spin it that this is a good thing for Linux, which, sure, I'm sure there's going to be contributions there, but to me, this is a Linux world now. Absolutely it is. Look but, at the devices that are running the Internet. Sure, but I mean, if you look at the way that Microsoft has changed the way they do things, I mean, they're now handing out software for free, like the desktop software, you can get it free. I mean, it spies the crap out of you, but it's free. Um, but I mean, if you get things like uh, Microsoft Word, it's now no longer you buy the software and you've got it forever. It's mm. a monthly a subscription. subscription. Yeah. So. If Microsoft is realizing, hey, we're losing bucket loads of money to open source software that people can snag for free, yeah. we need to find another way around this. And so I've been watching Microsoft for a couple years go to subscription-based services mm -hmm. and are walking away from their one-time fee because they know that they're going to get pummeled. It's true. Yeah. It's true. I love Linux. I like my yes. laptop. I have a girl at the office I work at who really loves Microsoft, and it makes me grit my teeth because I think to myself, because she is just... So naive. I just think to myself, if only you watched my show just once. Not that it's my show. Sorry, Robbie. <laughs> Watch my this show. Is, this is entirely the Sasha show. <laughs> every, time, every time I switch the cameras back to Jeff and I, she's like, give it back. You switch the Sasha. I need to get her a switch, a foot switch. That's right. I need no. to be able to switch the cameras. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for watching the Category 5.TV newsroom. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And for more free content, be sure to check out our website. From the Category 5.TV newsroom, I'm Sasha Dermatis. This is my show. Thanks, Sasha. This is Category 5 <laughs> Technology TV, my show. You know... Welcome given, back. Given the fact that, you know, Sasha thinks this is her show, it it just it brings me to some of the comments that we've seen online from Before we get into comments, oh, yo, oh, come on. I want to give you one of these Christmas time uh, Chipolo. We've talked about them on the show. Great product. Chipolo Plus is now out. It is louder, it is tinier, it is better, it is waterproof. 
Now you can put it on your dog. Water yo yo. So your dog runs away. You can track it with your phone. What What does a dog have to do with being waterproof? Because they jump. You to say put it they on jump your in pools of water. All right. Check it out. Go to cat5.tv/chipolo. C H I P O L O. And we're gonna give one of those away. Chipolo. In the Christmas contest, and then we've got another one to give you. Uh, we've got a couple of different opportunities for you to win. That is a tracker. So if you ever lose your stuff. You'll be able to find it on a map. You're going to be able to make it beep so that if you know you if it's in the room, you can put it on any, anything. It. Like it's on. Yeah, you put I it mean, on your stick phone. It in your you wallet. put it on your car. Not that you would lose your car, but you know you could put it on anything. You could put it on your car if you fear that your car is going to get stolen. You could right. put it on your bike. Oh, I want it and, on my bike. Yeah, and then you know you someone steals your bike, and you can pull it up on on a map and see where it is located That's in this world of yours. Super great idea. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay, or, sorry, or I interrupted. Your dog. You could. Put it on your dog. Win this, oh, folks. I will just for a second just like let you know a little bit more of the time zone thing. Dave went to Newfoundland a couple weeks ago yes. and I actually had to call him and be like, What time is it there? Yeah. I don't get it. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> why are you why are you still calling me at four AM? I don't get it. I don't I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand. It's not four AM. All right. Go back to where I was. Yes. So the fact that this is all about Sasha. All about Sasha. We are now getting requests. What do we got now? To zoom in more on Sasha during Zoom the in news. more on Sasha? People need to see more of Sasha. Am I that small in the newsroom? No, they just need to see more of you. Ronald Morissette Jr. was watching the show a few weeks back. Oh, and he was like, dear. you need to zoom in on Sasha. We'll do our best. We need more Sasha. You can buy a bigger TV through our partner links. <laughs> That's right. Amazon. <laughs> They're on sale right now. Black Friday sales. That's so great. check it out. Oh, hey, thanks, times. buddy. Yeah, well, we've been trying to tweak the newsroom. Um, haven't quite got Wirecast 7 working to our liking, um, but that's part of it. Mm-hmm. I learned a couple of new things today about it. I've got a foot switch ready to go. We're working on the set. I'm We're doing some new about things. these changes. We've got new tables over here that you can't see, but we can, and uh, they're being worked on, painted, and everything like that. Lots of stuff happening. True. And truth but it's be told, I'm actually small person i'm only five feet tall so yeah, it's not that you're not bigger. zoomed in you're not zoomed in to me you are zoomed in to me i'm actually small <laughs> <laughs> we made her bigger on the screen just so you could see her <laughs> she is our elf on a shelf she'll just she'll sit there during there christmas <laughs> hey i want to say thanks to senor wences uh sent us a generous contribution yes. uh, i wanted to help her <coughs> me Oh, he, cool? oh, well. Yeah. You can finish up. I'll Senor finish Wences, up. you've choked me up, man. <laughs> Senor Wences um, wants oh, to yeah. hear me speak more. He wants to hear my voice. And so he's donated um, for the new microphones for the awesome. studio. Thank, Thank you so you. much, Senor Wences. Uh, also, um, incidentally, Sasha, he demands a 5 by 7 of yourself, personally autographed. Do you think we can pull that off? It's pretty much a life-size photo. Five by by seven is how big I am. Thanks. Thanks. We'll see what we can do. Okay. Thank thank you so much. Thank you to everybody who has contributed this week. It uh, certainly makes a difference here at the studio. Uh, Our heat wasn't working earlier, and it it made me realize I'm glad that our bills are paid. Absolutely. I'm so thankful that our bills are paid. I called up the landlord with confidence, and he was here and fixed everything for us. So that's great. (laughs) Gavin, the best one, says, that little stand with the tiny drone on it. That one. Look at that. It's a teeny drone, not a tiny drone. Uh, that little stand with the teeny drone on it, what is it that is making that little drone spin? <laughs> I'm reading this verbatim. Technology. I love it. 
Um, it actually, it's just flying. Robbie has it set yeah, up, I'm and he's just controlling it the controlling whole time. With my toes. Slowly yeah. flying. How much is it? Where can I buy it? If you can answer, I would very much like to get it. Yeah, it's kind of a neat little thing, eh? Um, it is from cat5.tv slash gearbest. And it's, I think, called a, f- a cell phone stand. I think really? something like that. It's, it's that's for, for your cell it's phone. It's for display. It's for store displays, and they're and they're like oh. seven bucks. They're cheap. I yeah. I kind of want one myself. I don't know what I would put on to display at all. I like it when I do product maybe. reviews and and I get that nice panoramic shot of the product spinning. So when I do action cam reviews and stuff, you can see that close up. It's kind of nice. See, you guys are thinking completely impractical. He's like, I, I'm going to connect 10 of them together and stand on it. No, I want to put my supper plate on that. Yeah? I just have <laughs> keep rotating. As, that way, you know, you get those dishes <laughs> where you've got like four portions. This Do you way know, you don't have to turn the plate. It mm. turns for you. All I hear Jeff Weston saying right now is how he wants a computer to feed him. He wants a robot it to feed like, his dinner. Oh, really? Grandma's yeah. lasagna. Twisting, twisting my words, Sasha. Can we end this now? Are we done? I think we're done. Oh. I am done Folks, with this. we're going to come back to your questions and comments. I've got pages of it, and we're out of time. And these folks want to wrap it up. I just feel like there's so much more to this. And so we love you. for two hours? No, we can't go for two hours, but one more question or comment. Okay. Gavin, the best one. I did that one. Oh. I just did. How about oh, you got another one? There's another Gavin, the best one. Oh, yeah. He also let Our us biggest know. biggest fan. Two comments in one week. That's right. He also let us know that he is subscribed because of our drone video. 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 He says video. V1. Nice. That's right. All it took was one. We have video. There are more. We have the dronezone.tv. Check that out. Yeah. Can I, can I just say, yeah. Matt LaRose, who watched hey, episode 449, which I don't think I was on. Um, not that it's a Sasha show, but it's... <laughs> it wasn't that week. It's perfectly safe to go to Cherno- Chernobyl, it, but it wouldn't be safe to spend a long amount of time there. Great show, guys. What was that Thanks, about? I think we... It was a Kelsey and I got talking about... Chernobyl? Chernobyl, or was it you and I? I, I don't recall talking about Chernobyl except for tonight. I think it was Kelsey and I. That's yeah. funny. And I, I don't wa- know how like, it I need to up. go back and remember. watch the episode. Watch and find again. out how Chernobyl came up in conversation ever. Yeah, and it wouldn't it, it wouldn't be safe to spend weeks there, but it would be safe to go there for just one Wednesday just to between seven and eight. If it is Wednesdays at seven and eight, in you Chernobyl. want to go to Chernobyl for the and show? I think she's show. asking Matt to go to Chernobyl. Oh yeah, to watch the show. Be our roving reporter. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I did I did hear this week though that they're going to be turning Chernobyl into a massive field of solar panels. Field of solar panels. Yeah. I love that. For energy. I love that. They need that. Chernobyl needs... We like, need solar panel energy, firstly. And they need to um, mend themselves. Well, And it's kind of I- irony Iran? that they're going yeah. from nuclear to solar. And since there there's nothing it. else really getting in the way, they can just put a whole bunch of solar panels or mirrors pointing towards one massive solar plan- panel. I don't know how they would do it. But it's all, perfect, totally great for, of Chernobyl to do all that. All that this makes me think at the end of the show is that I'm looking forward to our new set when I am stuck in the middle of you two. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to be something else. I again. feel like Dave is going to be a co-host soon.
Yeah, we'll get him on the end of the table. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you trying to punk me? <laughs> I, I feel this is like you trying to punk me, get Davey in here, make this more about the Sasha show. Next thing you know, oh, you're going to no, take over. How do you know he's not replacing I'm me? Replacing then you find all of the crew. The Sasha I found a better bald guy. She's found a better bald guy to take over the show. <laughs> you know what? This guy's got tats and everything. If we're just taking over shows, I'm taking over Pixel Shadow because Big Kitty loves that show. Big Kitty? Oh, Big Kitty loves Pixel oh. Shadow. Out. Looking yeah. forward to new episodes. Yeah, we've got another new episode that just went up uh, last weekend. We have so tons check of great shows. TV. Oh yeah, go to category5.tv. They're all there. Thank you so much for joining us all. Uh, please do support us through the, the Christmas season. If you're doing online shopping, use our partner links. It helps us out. doesn't cost you any more, but it puts a little in our bank to uh, help us pay the bills. It's traditionally a slow couple of months for us. Um, advertisers tend to drop off after Christmas because they've blown their budget. Um, so your contributions, you're using our links, is going to help us to pay the bills. And we appreciate it very, very much. Um, thanks for watching tonight. We will see you again next Tuesday night when we look Whoa, at we will Wednesday. Not. <laughs> next Wednesday night. I think that's the second when time we look done at that. Tonight? No, I think you did Just last in general? Week. Well, I did pretty good then. Yeah. Wednesday night. Look, I went through over 400 weeks of nothing but Tuesdays. So it's fair. Okay, fine. We'll, we'll next, forgive you this time. Next week, we are going to be looking at action cams. We're going to be comparing some of the best 4K action cams available on the market. If you're looking to shop for one, make sure you watch next week's episode before you buy. We're going to compare them for you. So could we say it's going to be an action pack show? Bump it bang. It sure is. We'll see you then. Good night. Bye. Bye.